Welcome to the False Neutral. This is episode number 61. Eric and Garrett back with you once again. Sorry for missing last week's show, but uh, Garrett had all kinds of things going on and I was traveling most of the week. So trying to get us together for a weekend to record was nigh impossible. So yeah. Back uh, this week, and I think for the next few weeks we should be good, because we got one for you this week, we're trying to line up an interview for next week, and then the week after that, I think Pete will be back with us to talk about SmackDab, so some awesome. some things to look forward to. Yeah. On last episode, I remember talking to you about the motorcycle ride that my friends and I are planning on doing, and one of my friends specifically had the old 40,000 mile Kawasaki Zephyr poorly maintained. I had doubts about whether or not it could make it on the entire trip and so i encouraged him to bring the title signed with him so that way when it broke down he could just leave it on the side of the road we were trying to talk him into buying a new motorcycle for the trip and he had been looking at a few things it was kind of the similar deal with me where he had about five thousand bucks to spend and was kind of debating on what type of bike he should buy and he was kind of leaning towards an fc1 and that's what he ended up buying so i just posted a picture to you eric and we can post it on hooniverse but he ended up just buying something um, almost identical to mine a 2009 fc1 his has the the regular u.s front fairing on it whereas mine has that european naked conversion but otherwise uh just about identical he picked it up for 50 or uh, sorry 4600 dollars which I think is pretty fair for what it is. It's, you know, kind of remarkable what you can buy these bikes for because there's really no inherent problems with them. Uh, they go and go and go and go. They have 26,000 mile valve adjustment intervals. Jeez. You can buy them all day long for 4,500 bucks that are in really, really good shape. So And, and sure, that's a, what, nine, 10 year old bike, but it doesn't look dated. I mean, it right. looks still fairly. I mean, okay, maybe the headlight design and the fairing a little bit, but I mean, for yeah. all intents and purposes, it looks, you know, like it could have been done in the last couple of years. Yeah, and they made them all the way up until 2015. And, you know, Yamahas, they recycle parts all the time. So, I mean, there's nothing you could ever not get for a bike like this. Right. I mean, you could you could ride it forever and never have a concern that a part might go obsolete. That ride, that ride is coming up for you guys? Yeah, next week. Oh, wow. Yep, we leave next Friday morning, and we'll be coming home on Monday, so just kind of a long weekend, and we're hoping to cover uh, about 800, 800 to 1,000 miles. Yeah, that'll be so. good. That'll be a really, really good weekend. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, unfortunately, nothing has changed in my world. Uh, the last, <laughs> I think, pretty much every week for the last month, I've traveled somewhere, so just yeah, trying to get my life... <laughs> It's too bad point. we weren't able to meet up with each other when you're in my neck of the woods yeah. here this, this other week. So I was down in uh, Newburgh, which is probably, what, about 70 miles away from you? Oh, not even close. No, mm-hmm. it's like probably 25, 30 miles. Oh, is it that it, close? It, it, yeah, it, it's, um, it takes about 50 minutes to drive there, but just because the traffic is just awful through Portland and Newburgh. Yeah. Um, but it's really not very far away. Yeah, it was uh, it was a whole adventure getting there. Anyways, I uh, this is a car thing, not motorcycles. But I, I I intentionally for these things I always fly out early, like early flight, so that I can get to wherever we're going. I have time to get to the get to the place, get some work done if I need to get work done, or you know maybe just go to the gym and walk on the treadmill, or if they've got a 
pool or something, go swim. So I'm on an early flight. We go taxi out and then we stop and pull over. And I'm reading, so I don't not pay attention. The captain comes over. Yeah, we got the, a light on the, on the board here. It says our, uh, uh, one of the computers isn't working right. It's the one that controls all the flight controls. <laughs> I'm like, um, that might be an important computer to have working. So we had to go back to the gate and it took them like an hour and a half to swap out the computer and everything. So missed my connection in Salt Lake city. Cause right now there wasn't a direct flight between Portland and Detroit. I get there at like the, 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 the briefing starts at five o'clock. I walk into the briefing at like five thirty-five. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then right after that, it's like, I had enough time to go to my room, change clothes, go to dinner. And by the time they did a, something at dinner, which they had Kyle Bush at and, whatever and it was like 9 30 local but for me it's 12 30 so i was ready to pass out yeah because i've been up at like 4 30 my time and yeah the next whole next day was pretty much booked from front to back and then i had a i think they i think i left the the place at like five in the morning so it was just like yeah in and out <laughs> yeah four thousand miles of air travel in 36 hours kind of thing you know yeah but anyways enough of that um Let's talk about, and we mentioned on the last show as an idea, of old wives' tales, of things that kind of circulate, uh, old wives' tales, better known, I guess in this day and age, we just call them internet lore. Things you hear about motorcycles, whether new or old, on maintenance or just general things, but really they're nonsense in this day and age. Yeah. One of the biggest ones that I've always had, and, and this is just not so much an old wives tale as it is just kind of like a misunderstood myth is high octane fuel. Yes. So the, the lore is that if you use high octane fuel, you'll make more power or, or race fuel, you know, because it has the, the word race in it, it must make more power. And also it's like eight times the price. So it must make more power. So if I put that in my machine, then certainly I'll make more power. Right. Um, and, and that one drives me nuts. I've been, I've been battling this one for quite some time, but you know, it's interesting gas. If we're just talking about pump gas, you know, 87, 89, 92 octane, chemically speaking, all three have virtually the, the same amount of stored energy. Mm-hmm. So it makes no difference to your engine, whether you have 87 or 92 in it, same amount of energy stored in those bonds and the, and the gasoline, right? So, but each one has a different amount of octane and octane is uh, virtually, it's an additive. It's a carbon structure, just like any other. And if you think about like methane, uh, propane, octane is all a similar structure. You just keep adding more carbons to it. But the benefit that octane has is that it is less volatile than, than gasoline. And so when you have more octane in it, you reduce its volatility. And so now when you're talking about making power in an engine, like I said, all of them have the same amount of stored chemical potential. But when you decrease the volatility, then you have the advantage of being able to get all of the molecules closer together before you ignite them. Now, in combustion, obviously, you have fuel, you have air, and you have pressure. And when all those things are equal, regardless of the octane, it's going to make the same power. But when you increase your octane, you're able to compress it more before it ignites. And when you compress it more, you get all of those molecules much more closer together. And that has two benefits. One is that your reaction is able to spread 
faster across the molecules because they're all closer together, but you're also putting more energy into it in the form of compression. So when you do make more power with higher octane fuels, it's not because of the fuel, it's just because of the increased pressure and energy that you're adding into it in that form. Nothing to do with the fuel. Right. The fuel just allows you to take the engine where it needs to go to make more power. The fuel itself does absolutely nothing other than just reducing its volatility. Um, I, and so, yeah, go ahead. I'd say the only, the only way that... All all engines are built, even from the 70s, to run on mostly 87, 91 kind of gas. And the only way that you're going to see a benefit off of that, we'll spell, let's just say in the modern day and age with fuel-injected bikes, is if you put a, a piggyback programmer on it and you change the fueling a little bit, but more more the timing. That's the only timing, way yeah. that you can take advantage of 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 the higher octane gas because the only other way would be to bump up the cr compression but most bikes yep. nowadays are like 12 and 13 to 1 already so yeah. there's not really much there's not a whole lot more room to go on that so it's really yeah. just about tweaking the timing but if you're just riding i mean unless you're an all-out race bike you know you don't yeah. you don't need to be touching that anyways no and and honestly i mean the increase in performance if yeah. you maximize your compression to be able to use high octane fuel uh, the performance advantage is really kind of negligible. It, you'll make a little bit more, but it, it's important when you're on when you're racing and you need every little advantage you can and, get. And half of that is just because it's oxygenated fuel, so that you're able to bring in. It's it, it's a different type of combustion at that point, and that's yeah. really the advantage race gas has. Isn't, isn't as much the octane as the oxygenation it brings. Uh, yeah, into it. It kind of depends on what sanction of racing yeah, uh, you're involved in, because that. yeah, any racing that I've ever been involved in, they don't allow oxygenated fuels. You can run um, high octane leaded fuels, just as standard 110 race fuel, and in some cases they do make 120 octane race fuel too. But it's it's more difficult to get. But nevertheless, either one is non oxygenated. The advantage of something like 120 octane fuels, what we've done in the past is been able to use methanol and gasoline on the same engine with the same compression ratio because uh, methanol typically takes a tremendously higher compression ratio to run properly than gasoline does. But yep. if you can use a 120 octane fuel, then you can technically use both given the same compression ratio. And, and I know I, I can already hear it now. There's going to be people that say, well, you know, my engine runs better when I put higher octane fuel in it. And that might be the case. I'm not going to say that one engine might not run better with higher octane fuel, but there is something that's causing that. Either you have too much spark lead in it, uh, maybe the engine's running a little too hot, you have a lot of carbon buildup in the combustion chamber, one of those things. But all things considered, being equal, it, regardless of the octane, it doesn't make any more power. Right. So. Yep, no, that's true. That's, and, and, and if you really want to chase your tail on race fuels, uh, just go look at, Go. I don't know that they have it online anymore, but VP Race Fuels literally makes 90, 90 plus different race fuels. And yeah. so then you want to go figure out what you want or what you need. It's like, eh, just, yeah. Unless you're yeah. racing, you don't need race fuel. And if you're racing, you already know exactly what you want, need, or is dictated by the sanctioning body of what is the spec fuel or what's allowable. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I know one that you mentioned last time is a big one, and I and I know it just because well, you and I know it from from racing and other stuff is oh I got a new bike oh I need to do a five twenty chain conversion 
Yeah. And that's another one. If you're not going racing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in, in regards to the chains, a 520 chain has less surface area than a 530 chain. And so, yes, it will have a little bit less friction. And yes, it will make a little bit more power. But we're talking about one horsepower. And, and that one horsepower is at the, the peak Right. So right. when you're spinning a chain at, at 40 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, one versus the other, we're, we're, we're talking about such a little difference in friction at 11,000 RPMs when the engine's spinning and you're doing 140 miles an hour, then there's a there's a small difference. Yes. But it, is it worth changing out your sprockets, changing out your chain that and to get a 520 chain that's a good quality one that's capable of holding that kind of power? you're going to be spending a whole lot of money yeah. on it. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, 520 chain conversions, ah, I just don't get. That, that, that one's probably, like, the one that I just don't get the most. <laughs> Why anybody would just spend the money to do like, it. Like, if you're running a shop, you're like, yeah, I'll do those all day because it takes me 20 minutes to do it, and I'll charge, uh, you know, the chain plus my 30% of, you know, what I'm paying over, you know, for my supplier, uh, yeah. and then, you know, an hour's worth of labor for... 20 minutes worth of work so yeah we're good yeah <laughs> you know it's like doing yeah. it's like owning an auto shop yeah you'll do brake jobs all day because what the book says it takes and what you what it actually takes are two different things so yeah and you know that reminds me speaking of these types of things um it only just occurred to me that full exhaust systems or slip-on mufflers now uh, motorcyclist.com i think it was an mc garage episode with ari henning they just talked about this recently and like the advantage or disadvantage of on a, a new sport bike taking off the stock exhaust and putting a full aftermarket system on or even just a slip-on muffler depending on the bike a full exhaust system can make more power and and, and so i'm not going to argue that point but nowadays there's so much engineering that goes into the engines and the exhaust systems and for them to work properly and so I see less and less point nowadays of putting a full exhaust system on a bike. You know, like, you know, with a two-stroke way back when, a, an exhaust system can make a huge difference. Yep. I mean, night and day difference, really live in a two-stroke up. But nowadays with these 150, 60, 70 horsepower machines with well-engineered exhaust systems, yeah, you can make a few more. But is it really worth it to spend 2500 bucks on an Acropovic? <laughs> well, I should say... My friend Tuano, he put an Acropovic slip-on muffler on it to the tune of $2,500 just for the slip-on. <laughs> Is it like full titanium inside and out or something? It, yeah. And, and and therein lies the – and okay, so two things. A, if you're doing a full exhaust, you have to have it, again, some kind of piggyback power commander or whatever on it to take advantage of it because you're probably going to lean it out. And if you don't yeah. adjust your fueling and your timing, it's you might lose power actually. Yeah. Uh, or you're certainly – you'll you'll find some – holes in your power band probably yeah so but I, I the the real big reason for me that i can see for doing either a slip-on or a whole exhaust system is really two twofold one weight because yes. it can it, it can drop 20 pounds off of your bike and that's a lot for um, sure. you know that's five to seven percent of the of the weight of the bike that's that's a decent chunk that's easy weight non-rotating mass yeah non-rotating mass and the other one is you want to change the sound yeah yeah, and but 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 I'll say with that, most people think that uh, when they want to go, oh, I want to change the sound of my bike. 
they go way too loud. And, and, and the difference is, is that they don't have to sit behind their bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, That's my friend, he, he just bought that FC one and I still have that, uh, MIV exhaust oh, yeah. that I took off of mine. That's just way too loud. And he's like, would it fit on mine? No, no, it wouldn't. No, sorry. <laughs> so it just, if it's every year of FC1 except for 09, weird. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to it. I took it off of my bike for a reason. I'm not going to listen to it on his. Yeah. I, was, no, I was you're, like, you should, you should throw that on Craigslist real fast just so it doesn't I'm exist and it can't, and it can't, yeah. happen, you know. No, but you're right with that. The same buddy of mine that has a Tuano, he has that FC09 and he put a full Yoshimura exhaust on it. And the FC09s are kind of weird from the factory anyways. The fueling is is just not quite right on them. And when he put the full exhaust system on, it made it almost unrideable. It just was... The the fueling got out of control weird on it. So he ended up having to buy a, a fuel tuner for it and have a custom tune done for it just to make it ride properly. And when that was done... A completely new bike. I mean, it did make quite a bit more power, a lot more mid-range power. Like I said in a previous episode, the thing weighs 398 pounds wet. And so a a big chunk of that weight reduction was in that exhaust. And so it definitely had its performance advantage. But by the time he was done with it, he spent about 1100 bucks on the exhaust, another 400 bucks on the tuner, another 400 bucks on the custom uh, tune for the tuner mm-hmm. and then when you start adding all that up when he first bought the bike i was like you know you when you buy it don't do anything leave it exactly as it is because if you want it to go faster just buy an fc10 right. it doesn't make any sense to buy that for a budget bike and then put three thousand dollars into it trying to improve it and so that's where he's at now he's already spent a ton of money on it he wants to fix the suspension and he's like just about eleven thousand dollars into the fc09 now Ooh. And it's like a third of the bike that an FC10 is, and yeah. an FC10 is just barely more than right, that. Right. So. Or uh, uh, I was gonna say, well, eh, Street Triple, the new Street Triple R, with you know, because it comes fully so- sorted with Olean, so you don't have you know your suspension's it, done. It's got, anyways. But that's that's a whole yeah. different argument. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if it really is that big. Like, you know, if we're talking about these modifications and, you know, whether or not they're worth doing, I feel like we should at least include the idea that if you're going to buy a bike and you want to upgrade it, you like say you're going to put a 520 chain on it and you want to do an exhaust or whatever else, you might just think about the next model up, mm-hmm. you know, and just think about if your bike is ever going to achieve the performance that you want. And if it does, are you going to spend as much money as it would cost just to buy the next model up that's already all done? Yeah. You know, I yeah. think that's definitely a valid point to make when talking about these modifications, especially the ones like race fuel that really don't do anything at all. Right. I think another big one, and this is sort of yes and no, I guess it depends on how old the bike is, but if I've run conventional oil in my bike all this for all these years, if I put synthetic oil in it, it's just going to become a sieve. Yeah. Older so, older bikes with looser tolerances, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. This So I don't know a ton about conventional and synthetic oils and going back and forth between them, but I have read from numerous oil manufacturers, like the big ones, that you're – as far as your engine goes, it makes no difference whether you run conventional and then switch to synthetic and then switch back. The manufacturers of the oil say it makes no difference. Now, 
I have heard in many occasions where uh, people have run conventional forever, they put synthetic in, and then it's leaking all over the place. And I'm not exactly sure why that would happen. I mean, it seems like if a synthetic oil has the same viscosity as a conventional oil, it, I mean, it, it seems like it should stay in the engine just the same through the seals and whatnot, but I don't really know that um, much about it. From everything I've read over the last 20 years on this subject, if it depending on how old it is, and it literally could be how old the seals and gaskets are. Yeah, and that for change in sure. that change in formulation mm-hmm. doesn't quite sync up right, or it's used to something and it, something else comes in and it doesn't. And and a lot of times, if you like run it through a couple times, then you're fine again. So that that's yeah. the only reason I say that I qualified the as an old wife tales. It kind of depends. Yeah, but I mean, I've run synthetic fluids in all my motorcycles and most of my cars over the last 20 years and having literally taken one of my old Mustangs, run it down the track twice with conventional uh, oil and conventional, conventional oil transmission and diff fluid drained it out, changed it. And then the next day ran it back to back where essentially identical conditions. And it was like a two tenths difference in a quarter mile Oh, wow. just because of the, less reciprocating well especially for transmission and and the rear differential if you can think what conventional rear diff fluid is versus synthetic that the difference is amazing so yes so i'm a big believer in that it it frees up it's free horsepower because your engine has to work less if you're especially with modern bikes that can run a little warm even vintage bikes that run warm it's better because it's able to take that heat longer uh and more effectively before it breaks down yeah I will say conventional oils do a great job at what they do. I mean, as far if somebody were thinking about changing to synthetic oil versus conventional oil, if you change your oil regularly, I would I would say that an engine would last the same amount of time on conventional oil as it would in synthetic oil if it is changed frequently, regularly, maintained properly. But synthetic oils do have the benefit of being much more consistent Mm -hmm. from batch to batch. And so you can get a lot of variation in conventional oil when it's labeled a certain viscosity. If you took 100 different samples of that same oil and tested them all, there's going to be a wider range of variants than you would have in a synthetic oil. And synthetic oils don't break down quite as quickly as conventional oils. So they do have that benefit. They say that you can go longer oil change intervals with synthetic, which is true, although I'm always so paranoid about it. I stick to... <laughs> You're the wrong well, person to ask about that. Yeah, I, I don't even just do the regular oil change interval. I, I change oil way more frequently than than some manual state. It's just like my, my Mini Cooper car. They... You know, in the manual, it says 12,000 mile oil change interval, and I would never, ever go that far on oil, but... yeah. Yeah, well, especially, yeah, I would say six tops, but that's a whole yeah. different subject. Yeah, oftentimes I'll change my oil but leave the same filter on it in between intervals. So I'll do like a 3,000-mile mm-hmm. oil change but do filters every 6,000. Yeah. So this one, I've heard it more for the automobile industry than for motorcycles, but the same thing applies, and that's engine warm-up. Hmm. So the argument is newer vehicles are fuel injected and 
you start them up and they warm up as you drive them. And that's not false. I think that part of the argument also is that older vehicles with carburetors, they needed to be warm before they ran properly. And so they just got warmed up just so you could make it to the stoplight without it dying. Right. Yep. No, it's pretty and, much and, it. And, and so, you know, the argument, I think, for not warming it up is that you, you don't need to. It's it's all done through the computer. It doesn't need to be warmed up. But there's one point that I feel like is always missing from this argument, and that is the difference in metal expansions inside an engine. So you have an iron cylinder bore, and you have an aluminum piston. Now you have a big chunk of iron and a, a very, very thin piston. And so when you build heat in an engine, especially when you build it really quickly, that aluminum piston will expand faster than the iron bore will. And there, in motorcycle engines especially, you can have something called a cold seize mm-hmm. where you set off uh, without warming it up. And the next thing you know, you've just seized the motor because the, the piston just expanded way too fast and it got stuck in the bore. And then when it cools down, it's free again. Except now you have no compression. <laughs> so yeah, I I would say because we've done articles for dealer clients for the, at the agency I do work for uh, mm-hmm. on this and doing some research on this and talking with OEMs and engineers and stuff like this. Basically, here's what it boils down to: unless it's super cold, if you let your if you start your car and let it idle for more than thirty seconds before driving it away, you're essentially wasting fuel. Most pistons, yes, they're aluminum, but they're cast. Mm-hmm. So the diff- if it was a forged piston, yes, you might actually have a little bore noise and stuff like that in there as they're rattling as they go to warm up. But since most, since like ninety nine percent of pistons are hyper eutectic or cast, that the expansion they, they they they've worked the expansion so that it works. Yeah, the in cast conjunction. pistons do not expand as much as a forged piston, right? And so forged pistons will have a little bit larger tolerance than a cast piston will just because they do expand more and it's not as as critical in a car engine and a motorcycle engine uh particularly the ones with the forged pistons it's not going to hurt to keep them warmed up and i i do also argue that all of the machine tolerances are set for an engine under normal operating temperature. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a piston tolerance or bearing tolerances, all of those things are set such that when the engine's at operating temperature, there's the proper amount of clearance for oil and all that. When the engine is cold, you know, obviously those tolerances are, are bigger than they would be when they're warm. And before torturing an engine, I just think that it is it is important to let it warm up. Yes. Now, um, I don't always warm my vehicles up. In fact, uh, bringing back my Mini Cooper, it says specifically, do not idle the engine to let it warm up. Start off immediately. And I don't warm it up for that long, but I also just drive it pretty conservatively until everything is at operating temperature. Yeah, we're not saying that, you know, start your start your car, you know, or, or motorcycle right away immediately and then go hammer on it. No, it should you it's it's what we're saying is you don't need to let it warm up before you drive away. That said, let all your fluids come up to temperature before you start beating the crap out yeah. of them. Or even yeah, driving it, it enthusiast riding driving it enthusiastically. Yeah, and motorcycle engines especially, they oftentimes have different loads than a car motor does. Sure. And if you think about 
you know, a little one liter motor making 150 horsepower, there's a lot of forces on smaller parts in there. And so additionally, their range of operating temperatures and conditions is a lot greater. So um, it's not uncommon for a motorcycle like my FC1. The It won't even, it's not an issue for the engine to run at 235 degrees. Right. Uh, there will only even be a temperature light on at that at that state. And so they do engineer a little bit more tolerance into them just so they can run on those wider variances of conditions. So, yeah. And, and where, uh, not to go down a rabbit hole on this one, uh, or a rat hole, modern cars, especially if you have a hybrid, it's even more important because a lot of times if you don't drive it away immediately, some hybrids are different now than that where they don't necessarily have to draw heat in the winter off of the mm-hmm. coolant that they have in like an electric cooler or electric yeah. heater. But I've been in a few where they didn't and you, you're driving it really carefully and it takes forever to come up to temp. Like you could drive 10 minutes without actually having heat in, in, in cold yeah. winter weather. So that's why I say it's, it's important that you drive it easily, put a load on it and it just, that load will cause things to warm up quicker and more evenly. So like if you were start your car and let it idle, it might take five or 10 minutes to yeah. come up to temperature. You drive it, you know, you start to let it go 20, 20 seconds, just make sure your oil circulating, even though it's everything's coated still. Within three minutes of driving, just in basic stop and go, you'll probably have heat. So, yeah. anyways. Yeah. Any others for you? Those are the ones that came up to mind straight away. Those, those are the ones that I hear most often. Yeah. Nothing else that really comes up to mind. That's really a big deal. Yeah, How about you? Yeah, there were a couple others, like, some tire stuff but it's like eh, we're 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 uh we're, we're stretching at that point so <laughs> yeah uh, you know i've got an older bike do i should i run radial tires yes <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> don't and just the front you have a vintage tire... <laughs> bike doesn't mean you need to run vintage tires <laughs> yeah no run modern tires yeah and it's normal for the front one to look like it's on backwards yes <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so um, let's see, we're about 30 minutes, so that's probably a pretty good show. You know, no need to stretch it out too much. So that should uh, do it for episode 61. Yeah, Facebook. find us on Facebook uh, and Twitter, and then uh, also the Hooniverse. Don't forget us there. Yep. Definitely leave comments if you want to hear anything, uh, what you want us to talk about, then feel free to leave a comment. We'll look at it, and we'll almost invariably we'll talk about it. So Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and as I said, uh, if we can, uh, Garrett and I have to coordinate our schedules with the guests that we want to get which will be a, it's going to be a really cool deal if we can get him on i think we teased it before who we're talking about but we won't we'll just hold it off in case we can't deliver so and then uh the week after that as we said hopefully we'll get pete on to talk about smack dab because that is on the 21st so as you listen to this on the is it on the 21st smack Dab, or it's on the 23rd i don't remember i just i just posted it the other day because it was pete's birthday and i posted it on her page but anyway smack dab coming up very I quickly f- so i forgot to mention to pete too there's a Mika motorcycle auction in las vegas here uh, i think a week ago now and it was almost entirely vintage triumphs and so i was going to mention something to pete to watch it uh since he's into triumphs but yeah and he just he in our slack chat and our slack client he uh he posted a butaco for like 
fifteen hundred dollars in yeah. out in suburban Chicago. And I think his comment was, "I cannot express how painful being a responsible adult is right now." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trust me, I know yeah. exactly how you feel right now. Because as we record this, I have to cut checks to uh, Uncle Sam and. Uh, and, and, and my state government for my quarterly uh, taxes. So, yeah. So, trust me. I, I know exactly how you feel about that. So, uh, anyways, that wraps it up for the, this episode. And make sure that you, as, uh, as Garrett said, check us out on our social media and like, share, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, please. Until we talk to you again, have a good day. See ya.